You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. As you guys do, let me uh, just sort of find and land where we're sort of at in our series, God Redeems. We're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Exodus, taking some uh, side rabbit trails to dig deep into the text, uh, thinking through about the implications of the God of the Bible that we read, the God of uh, in Exodus, this great Yahweh, the great I Am, expressing who He is through this text and saying, what does this mean to us today? And we're seeing God work in a miraculous, incredible way to redeem His people, the nation of Israel. Um, and we're learning that God is not only active then, right, about 3,500 years ago, but right now, the same God like we just sang about. Uh, Jesus not only died for sin, but three days later, praise God, He rose again. And His Spirit is alive. He is Yahweh. He's the great I Am. And it's a privilege to be able to worship God because He is not dead. He is active. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we're digging in this book, we're trying to have the lens of a gospel lens. We know that Christ came. We know the true exodus was on the cross. And so the way that God works with his people then is not only for us now, but also through the lens of the gospel. And we're just saying, okay, God, how do you redeem and what can we learn about you? And I hope that as you go to your Bible study and your weekly reading, you always ask those questions like, Jesus, what is this telling me about you? And just meditating on it and reading through it and praying it. And God, how do I apply this to my life? Spirit, what do you want to speak to me today? And so in Exodus chapter 14, we find ourselves tonight, we're going to take the whole chapter, and let me just sort of break it down in sort of two different chunks of what this text sort of will cover. The message is going to be called the crossing the Red Sea. Crossing the Red Sea. We're going to see the nation of Israel cross the Red Sea, and in this text, verses 1 through 9, it's expressing to us that the Lord is passionate about His glory. He is passionate about His glory, and He gives us a reason why He is doing everything He has done and will continue to do. It is for His glory. But in God's goodness, in verse 10 through 31, we see the Lord loves sinners. That He actually gives glory and expresses it through love by saving us and allows us to be in His glory. And He redeems. And so, as we come to the text, let's humbly pray. And let's get right into it. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you can uh, magnify your word and open up our hearts. And we just pray for that now, God. We thank you so much for just uh, all you're doing around the world. Thank you for the privilege of being able to teach your word and to, to give, Lord, as a church to Nadath. And we just pray, Lord, that you continue to use his ministry. Thank you, God, for um, how the... Uh, House of Blessing tournament, golf tournament in Washington State went so well yesterday. We continue to just pray, Lord, that you would guide us in our giving, in our worship songs, in our fellowship, and in our teaching even right now, God. And so we thank you, Lord, that when we pray, we're speaking to a person. We thank you that, uh, I just want to thank you, Lord, that you know everyone here in the room listening online, and you're incredible. Uh, you're able to Lord, just work on our behalf. And so we say in the spiritual realm right now, Lord, move, work. Holy Spirit, come and teach your people today. And would you save? It's in Jesus' name we all say, amen. 
Amen. All right. The first part of this chapter, like I said, in verses one through nine, is we see really that why that God is passionate about his name, his glory, and he's going to work in such a way to esteem himself, to elevate himself, to make sure that we know he's the cream of the crop. He should get all the glory. And so verses one through four, let's read along. There are a few names that I'm going to butcher, so don't quote me on it, but I will try to make you smile. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back. Remember, they're going out in the wilderness and he said, turn back and encamp in front of Pi Haharoth between Mildol and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. I don't know if you pronounced that, but that's how I did it. All right. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. So he's given him this strategy to go to these real places, right, in the wilderness. And in verse three, it says, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. They're, They're confused. The wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get, there it is, glory over Pharaoh and all of his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They did so. Now remember the context. Israel um, had just been freed from Egypt. These powerful ten plagues, uh, incredible miracles and acts of God to display God's glory. And this freedom was quick and it was sudden. This is where we get the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, these things that we studied and been taking a dive into. And now we're in this season of wilderness. God freed them, but they, he was leading them in the wilderness by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. We talked about this before, but I want to reiterate, and I, you're going to see this theme over and over and over again as God is guiding his people. Okay, It's going to come up. God leads us. God leads us, you and I, in unusual ways. And we're seeing this here again in the nation of Israel. Okay, They're going down a track, and then in verse 2, God tells Moses, tell the people to turn back. And he gets very specific to the front of the sea, this place between Mil, uh, Migdal and the sea. And the strategy described in the first three verses was crazy unless it was by God. Because it was actually like a little circle, like let's go out here and go get, nope, let's just turn back to a dead end where we get trapped. Even Pharaoh recognizes this. If you read in verse 3, he recognizes this is a strange thing and it actually entices him to go after the people of God thinking, thinking that those people were weak. Just like I'm sure sometimes your friend, your family, the community thinks you're weak for having a strategy of prayer and waiting on the Lord or coming to a Sunday evening service. What are y'all doing? Crazies, right? Sometimes people think what they think, but God is in control. And these people weren't called to fully understand God's ways. They were called to walk by faith and diligently obey God and his word. And so we see God use these unusual strategies throughout the Bible. And you can just start thinking about the examples. Abraham and, and, and Sarah, you're going to have a great nation, this nation of Israel, but let's just wait until you're 90-some so you can't even have children. And then we'll give you a baby. Oh, oh what about like um, Gideon in Judges chapter 6? Remember that story of Gideon, the battle of declining? It was this large army, and God says, why don't you get some people to fight? Lord, there's not even enough. There's only a few thousand. Okay, get them. No, let's, let's whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down to 300, just so why he can get the glory. 
Or what about David? You know, we sang that song about David. David was a shepherd boy. Remember Samuel in Samuel 16, 7? He, the Lord told Samuel, don't look at the, the outward appearance, this little shepherd boy. Look at the heart. God does things in unusual ways. And as you read Scripture, it's over and over and over again. Ultimately, God even used the best, incredible, most miraculous miracle, our salvation, Jesus Christ, in an unusual strategy, sending His own Son to die for our sin. It's crazy that God Himself would take on our punishment on the cross. You know, I was reading one commentary this week about sort of God's strategies in unusual ways and and this person said, Satan, like Pharaoh, must have thought that he had Jesus trapped and that he was about to die. Yet, in his unusual strategy, God brought deliverance for us and glorified himself. Isn't that just like God? To just do something to blow your mind. And we get to understand this through the gospel. Colossians 2.15 says that God, he actually disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in His Son, Jesus. There's always a purpose in God's plan. And usually it's unusual because His ways are higher than our ways. But verse 4 actually gives us the reason why God does these things. Why does He work in mysterious ways? Why, why this unusual route? Well, God does these things for His glory. To be esteemed, to be worshipped. He He says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. That word Yahweh, I am that I am. God was doing this on purpose. And let me just encourage you, oftentimes he guides you intentionally that are crazy on purpose. Just to receive glory. Just to be glorified. Just not only for other people, but for even we're going to see the nation would understand that God is God. That they would understand God works in your life too. You are the mission of God. He loves you and cares for you, so He wants to blow your mind as well. So in order to blow your mind, He sometimes has to blow up your plan, right? But God wants us to honor Him, to worship Him, and so He does these things like no one else can do, and this is the way that He guides. This is the way that He works. He does these things to show how great He is. So in verses 5-9, through Pharaoh now pursues God's people, just as God would say he would. This is nuts. Pharaoh's son, firstborn son, just died. The people said, get out of here. They gave him all the plunder. But now, because Pharaoh in his pride is going to think he has a better plan, like oftentimes sin leads us to crazy, stupid things and destruction and death, Pharaoh now is going to go after his people. Read with me verse 5 through 9. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled... The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. It flipped. And they said, what is it that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Because remember, they were slaves for over 400 years. So he made ready his chariot and he took his army with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh Uh, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Pharaoh, this person, he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hafiroth 
in front of Baal Zephron. I love that when you say these words twice, then you really know what you're not doing because then you can just make them up, just say them differently all over the time. It's beautiful. It's hard to read in front of people sometimes. <laughs> Listen, Pharaoh thought that he had a great strategy. The choice chariot, it wasn't just like his one chariot. There were 600 chariots, the text says. And he hardens his heart and goes after Israel. But what we actually, what he actually was doing was fulfilling the purposes of God. He was actually fulfilling the purposes of God to bring God glory, like Romans 9.17 tells us. Pharaoh, in his pride, his stubbornness, his rebellion, was actually opposing God. Now, you and I know as Christians, that is a very wrong side of the battle you want to be on, opposing God. But they actually thought, Pharaoh thought, that he could go and win and attack and bring these people back into slavery. Even though God said, let my people go, let my people go. Now, what is he doing? Going exactly against God's word. And yet, Pharaoh serves in this text as a warning to us as well. Because there is danger in our pride opposing God and going against what God has said. Psalm 31, 23 says, Love the Lord, all you His saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. We need to guard ourselves against pride because we sometimes say, oh, that's Pharaoh and he does some crazy things. Well, so do we. Uh, Tim Miranda, he said this, Pharaoh stands as a warning for us today. God's patience will eventually turn to wrath. Do not be swallowed up. Heed God's word and turn to Jesus. You see, there are two ways that, could be, uh, that God can be glorified in someone's life. In his just judgment are in His saving mercy. Which way will you glorify Him? It's an important truth that we understand. Are we living in pride or humility? Are we opposing? Are we submitting? Because remember, God is passionate about His glory. And you're not going to win that fight. He's passionate about His name. But praise God, He's passionate about sinners, people like you and me that even rebel against His name. That the Bible says he's slow to anger and full of mercy and love. And he wants us to walk in his ways in humility and submit to his ways. This is why 2 Peter would proclaim this truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says the Lord is slow to fulfill his promise, speaking about the wrath to come or this judgment, but is patient toward you, humanity, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We need to ask ourselves, are we repenting? Are we living in repentance? Are we walking with God? Or do we just say, well, this part of the Bible is great, but this part is not, so I'm just going to ignore it. No, 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 we will never be in that battle. And so verses 10 through 13 teaches us now that the Lord actually saves sinners because no one really can be before God in His glory. Everyone that opposes God or will be before God is crushed. It's the weight that's too much. But He loves people like you and me, sinners. From verse 10 to the end of the chapter, we find one of the most important stories in the Bible. The crossing of the Red Sea. And now he's going to judge the Egyptians by swallowing up in the sea. And this story is repeated throughout Scripture because it's a significant, teachable moment for the nation of Israel and for us today. So let's read it. Verses 10 through 14, this next paragraph says, Then Pharaoh drew near. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Can you imagine that? 
Man, what a bummer that would be. They were following God and there's still opposition. That's right, Christian. You can follow God and there will still be opposition. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is, because, or is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, if you know history, Egypt had lands full of graves. They were like the king of the graves. Whole pyramid thing, the whole like, you know, wrapping people up, mommy stuff. This was being sarcastic. They're like, what? We, there's not enough graves in Egypt. Now you're taking us here to die? And so they say, um, is it not this what we said to you in Egypt? Verse 12, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. So now they're in their fear talking gibberish. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Notice they didn't die yet because they're speaking, but that's their assumption. I'm just throwing that out there for you. Oftentimes we have so much problem and pain points because we live off our assumptions and fears and it actually doesn't take place. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which we will work for you, to, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. That's a good verse to memorize. In this verse, these verses, we see quickly two different responses to the situation. One of faith, stand firm, fear not, the Lord will fight for you, Moses. And the people of God, Israel, one of fear. And you see this contrast between the two. The people, they start to trip out. They start to complain. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away? We're going to do all this stuff and then just die? It's just, just going to be wasted? And they start complaining to Moses, to the Lord. And Psalm 106, 7, again, remember this is a very good story that, that, that the Bible commentates on. So when we want to interpret things, we go back to the Bible. And Psalm 106, 7 actually says, in their heart they were rebelling and sinning against the Lord. The people were actually rebelling against God, not trusting Him because it was fear. Psalm 106, 7 says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Speaking of this instance, you know, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we forget about God and everything He's done in our lives, don't we? And we end up forgetting about these things, the wondrous works of God. This is why coming to church regularly is so important to be washed in God's Word, to see God work, to remember, to, to remind yourself of what God is doing. But oftentimes in our actual practice, our system, we don't remind ourselves of what God is doing. We remind ourselves of what the world and the devil is working. Let me give you a simple example. Rather than going to God's Word or being in fellowship or prayer, oftentimes our, we have a social media feed or we have the news cycle on. Or we have all these things that we're getting information from rather than looking to God and reminding ourselves of who God is so we can invite God in the situation. There's nothing wrong with those things, but it is wrong if you have it lose sight of who God is. And oftentimes, one of the realities is we only have a certain amount of time. And so many people say they're busy, they're busy, they're busy. 
and they're not prioritizing inviting God into their life through His presence, through prayer, through His Word, through doing these things that we know that brings strength to our faith. And because of that, they're living in fear because they're not thinking about the wondrous ways of God. And so being in the presence of God even now, looking at Scripture can actually build your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God because it brings you back to who Jesus is and it reminds you who He is. God wants us to walk in a reality where we include Him. He's right next to you right now, just sitting. He's just here. He's in our midst. He's given you His Spirit. You're saved. You don't have to fear death. There are certain realities that will never leave you, that you could just have with you. And it builds your strength, and it gives you confidence. God wants you to include Him in your reality. And this is one of the reasons why over and over and over again, the Bible tells us, God Himself says, do not fear. It's one of the most common commands in the Bible. Do not fear, do not fear. Do you know what's followed after that? Because I am with you. God always comes and says, do not fear, Mary. Do not fear, Joshua. I am with you. Stay calm, courageous. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. But it is wrong not to trust God in the situation or trial that you go through. God never says you're not going to go through trials or be afraid. He actually says you need to be bold. You need to be courageous. That's why I'm going to be with you. And the Lord helps us overcome our fear with his presence. And courage comes from trusting him by faith. And this is what we see displayed in Moses. Because he had spent a lot of time with God. God had been speaking to him and giving him direction. It wasn't fear, it was faith. So he says, stand firm. Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you, you only have to be silent. In other words, trust Him. I wonder what it would be like in a situation we were going through. It's so hard if we just stopped our soul and say, Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Trust Him. How would that change your spirit in a situation? God had spoken to Moses that word, and so it brought courage. It brought strength. It brought boldness. But God speaks to us today through his word as well. And it brings strength. And it brings courage. And it brings boldness. We must trust him or not. Believe or unbelief. Faith or no faith. Where, where are we putting this in? And when we don't trust him, it does breed fear. But standing firm doesn't mean do nothing. People say, be silent. Okay, it's good. But when the Bible talks about be still or stand firm, it's an act of faith of standing on what God has said, and it requires action. Verses 15 through 18 give us sort of this description of what it meant to be silent or to stand firm and to walk in faith. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh. There's that word again. And all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know 
that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The people are told now to move forward in silence and cross the Red Sea. God was going to work in such a way, He was going to receive glory, He was going to part an ocean, the sea. Moses, lift up your staff, obey, let's do this. What a weird thing. Can we just acknowledge that? But yet, God wanted to make sure that it wasn't the staff that was holy or even his servant, but that it was him dividing these walls of sea, these water, so people can move across because God wanted the people to trust him as God and to take steps of faith, literally, move forward, go ahead. You see, standing firm on God's word requires for us sometimes to have action. Sometimes it's hard to be silent, to trust. Now again, this shows the heart of God in this passage. Because listen, these people, just a minute ago, they're told to be silent because why? They weren't silent. They were complaining. They were rebelling and they were against him in sin, just like Pharaoh. And yet God is still going to save them. He's going to save them from his, their enemies, Pharaoh and their enemies. You see, just as God has displayed His love to you and I, well, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. We don't have to be perfect to have an active faith. We have to trust in one who is so good, so great, that we can actually die to ourselves, submit and humble ourselves, and get the abundant life that He gives. He gives an invitation to trust Him. And so we mess up all the time as well too. We've fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And that fallen short, the wages of sin is death. But because of the grace of God, we can have an invitation to receive that grace, stand on what He has said, live our life on this firm foundation, and it causes us to actually be born again and to walk in newness of life. God proactively loves us despite us. He's a good God. He's a God of love and He sends salvation to these people and He sends salvation to us still today. And so God now proactively works. If you look at verse 19 through 20, it says, excuse me, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel, remember that pillar of cloud and the presence of God was in there guiding them? (coughs) He moved and went behind them now. And the pillar of the cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. It was lit up at the night without one coming near the other all night. In these verses, they highlight that God was directly fighting for his people. It wasn't just great leadership, although there was great leadership in Moses. It wasn't just the capacity or these tools like a staff that had already been thrown down, miraculously used, and turned into a stake. Although those systems and those things are good, there were tools. But the pillar of cloud, the angel of the Lord, God himself moved behind them and guarded them from Pharaoh. God's presence was working on their behalf, his people, all night long like when it was really dark. Because that's really when you question God, is when it's really dark. 
when you really have no options. And throughout all the night, as they were taking steps of faith, God brought darkness to one side, those that were rebellion and against him, but at the same time, through his light, brought light to his people. We don't have to be afraid of darkness and trials. God is with us. And he can illuminate our eyes and our minds to his word and what he wants to do and guide us. And he will fight on our behalf. This is all about him doing a work. And he still does those works. Pharaoh was directly attacking God's people. So God was going to make a point. He's greater than Pharaoh. And listen, God always will be victorious against any of his enemies and prove that he is God. And so in verse 21 through 29, he parts the Red Sea. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and all his chariots and horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea did another miracle. It returned to its normal course. Because this was an unnormal, unnatural, supernatural miracle that was taking place. So it returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned in the covers and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. And not one of them, remember these are Israel's enemies, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. It's interesting when you read commentaries or you get people's perspectives of the Bible. And because it said an east wind, people are like, well, you know, because of east wind, this could happen. And there's, you know, the blowing up and it was dry land. It was probably, you know, this happened and what nature and blah, blah. This was just a miracle. Sometimes people overcomplicate things in Scripture and when God says something clear, like in multiple ways, we should just accept it. He's doing something supernatural. As if we cannot act as if God does supernatural after we just studied through the ten plagues. But yet still commentaries would be like, well, there was an east wind, so really it wasn't truly a dry ground. It was maybe a thing, or it wasn't a red sea. It could be this. Guys, we should just be blown away by what God says. God does incredible things and including our salvation. Hello, all the wrath of God poured on Jesus for us. That's a miracle, the greatest miracle of all. We should just celebrate and say, we serve a God of miracles. The Bible says nothing's impossible with God. The seas literally parted for the Israelites, and they crossed. And then another miracle happened, because then they came back to the normal course, the text says, and it destroys their enemies. Listen, in 
Verse 21, this text says the water divided. In verse 22, it says the waters being like a wall to them. One commentator put it this way. A city wall-sized wall of water on either side of them applies the division of a deep body of water. Not merely drying out to a shallow point. No, it was drying out the wet terrain. Again, we have good commentary, godly commentary, perfect commentary. The Bible. Listen to what Psalm says about this event. Psalm 78, 13. And he, speaking of God, divided the sea. Divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. Can you just imagine how freaky that would be? That is true dependence and faith, isn't it? When there is water right there and it's just standing like a heap, it's part and you're like, is this thing going to just... There's a continual reliance, I think, that we forget about as Christians. Just because God asks you to move forward and He's working a miracle does not mean you don't have any faith. You can still be freaked out. you got to move forward. Psalm 136.13 says that He did this because of His great love for His people. To Him who divided the Red Sea in two, it says, for His steadfast love endures forever. Our God, parting the water of the Red Sea, was no problem for him. He just did it. He said he was going to do it. He did it, and then he did it. It was just that simple. You have to understand, God is not like us. He's not like a man that he should lie. He has the strength and power. He can display his power and prove it to you. He can die and then rise again. He is God. And so we need to be in awe of God. Verse 25 says that even the Egyptians, they recognized the Lord was doing this and was incredible. Did you notice that? The Egyptians are like, oh snap, this is their, God's fighting on their behalf. We're in trouble now. How come pagans and even those that oppose God can realize God is God, but in our situation we get blindsided and don't even believe God is God? We need to understand this is God. The Egyptians say, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. It's pretty hard to read Scripture and not to believe in miracles. We still believe in miracles. That God transforms life. That He changes lives. And Hebrews 11.29 says it took faith. It took faith of the people to believe this. But just because God works and even does miracles does not mean that it will not take faith. Even as we've been talking about spiritual gifts, God can give you a gift. You're still going to have to exercise that by faith. You're still going to have to trust Him. The, the, the important part is it's impossible to please God with faith, without faith. On the cross of Jesus Christ was the greatest miracle. 1 John 2.2 2 tells us that, that God died. He was a propitiation for all of humanity's sins, all the world. He did this great work that you and I couldn't do. Most religions, we have to earn our way and go up to God and be good and stuff. But the gospel says, no, you aren't good enough, but God's grace is greater and he comes down to us and loves us despite ourselves. But yet the Bible says it's by grace through faith that we're saved. God can do all the work, but we still have to repent and believe, don't we? There is this beautiful thing of God's glory and his grace, and yet sinners allowing us to be able to come into that glory and receive a gift and be brought into relationship of trust, of faith. 
Now, what was a miracle for God's people was judgment and death for the Egyptians. Verse 27 says, So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its natural course. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The normal course for you and I is the wrath of God. The Bible says that we are born, separated, spiritually dead from Christ. That we deserve hell. The wages of sin is death. That is the natural course for you and I. But God, in His great mercy, has saved, has given us salvation. And we need the mercy of God. We need to remember the mercy of God as Christians. That it is not our behavior, our own efforts, that we get to walk across into this new promised land of new life. To those that believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. But it is by God's grace that we get to be able to do this. We should have more wonder and awe and be so thankful. For there's no church attendance, no tithing, no good deed that you can do. We are saved by Christ and Christ alone and the blood shed on the cross for our sins. And He was the one that not only died, but rose again. So it's when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we will be saved. And that is the only way that we will be able to stand and walk through this great judgment. The final judgment for the Hebrews 9, 27 says, it is appointed for us to live and then die once. We die once, we are judged. And if we are judged in Christ... The Bible says all spiritual blessings are in him. He, uh, Romans says that we inherit, we get the inheritance of Christ. The Father looks at you and I in Christ as if we are perfect. That's the reality. Because we identify with Christ. Just as the nation of Israel is be going through the Red Sea as a baptism, being submersed through this in Moses' leadership, we now too are baptized in the identity of Jesus. So when the Father sees us, He sees Jesus. We are covered by His righteousness. He took on our sin, gave us mercy. We have His righteousness. It should swell our hearts into praise. And we should remember this wondrous work always. Verse 28 says, It tells us not one of God's enemies remained. This same miracle was judgment for those that didn't have faith, that opposed God. And this is the great picture of salvation, isn't it? Salvation, judgment. What will happen at the end of the age? Like Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 25 or 14, that God will separate the sheep from the goats or the wheat from the weeds. That there is the reality of heaven and hell. And too often times people put that reality on God when God has given us a way and declared to us how to move forward. Stand firm. Fear not. All you have to do is trust Him. Be silent. Know that He is good. You, at the end of your life, don't even have to give a word or an argument or make even a case of why God should let you into heaven if you were a believer in Christ. Because Christ has said, it is finished. He's going to welcome us with open arms. To die, Paul said, is to gain. When we die, we are in the presence of the Lord, and it is by Christ and Christ alone. And so, verse 30 through 31 concludes the story with giving glory to God. Not Moses' great faith. At the end of this whole thing, this life, when we see Jesus... No one's going to be like, Daniel was such an amazing preacher. 
Oh, man, man, he was so generous. He did this, he did that. Oh, he was so full of faith. I can tell you right now, Hudson Taylor, that great missionary, he don't care about none of that stuff. He's with God. God gets all the glory. Why don't we live like that right now? Because verse 30 through 31 recognizes that God did the work. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead in the sea shore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, the Israelites, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. This event points us to God and how great he is. Too often times when we read scripture, we think we're the hero, but Jesus is the hero. This text says the Lord saved. This text says Israel saw the great power of the Lord. This is what happens when we live a life of faith, standing firm and obeying God's word. God does incredible things in our lives and he receives glory. And we get to see the great power of God not only demonstrated in our lives, but through our lives. Jesus said in Matthew 9.30, according to your faith, be it done to you. God, our God, responds to our faith, to our repentance, to us trusting Him. And as they obeyed the Lord, it built their faith even more. The text says they feared God. They were in awe of God. They, They believed Him. Because God was trying to get the glory not just to Show everyone he was greater than Israel and uh, greater than Egypt and the, their enemies, but that he was greater than Israel. Oftentimes, we know that God is so much greater than the devil. Oh, that's nothing. Get behind me, Satan. But do you know that God is greater than you? God wants to prove that to you. God is so good. He is so great. And this is the result of submitting to him that we get to enjoy the glory of God and not be crushed by the glory of God. And as you walk with God, you continue to grow and your faith continues to grow. And we're going to see in chapter 15 the appropriate response of this. Praise. The song of Moses. They just start getting happy, thanking God, praising the Lord of how He works. And so, let's do that now. Let's praise Let's sing. We, we have times of worship before, after, responding, but man, did God not do something amazing for us? Can we not celebrate God's redemption as these people did as well? For didn't God free us from slavery of sin and the bondage of sin and this miracle on the cross that, that He sent His Son so much He loved us that we can literally have salvation because the, the veil was torn in two so we can have fellowship with God and we can enter into the presence of God standing firm on not what we have done but being silent before the Lord because what He has done. He has destroyed our greatest enemies and not one of them shall remain. Sin, Satan, death. But God rose again. Jesus is victorious. There is triumph in his name and we can and should praise him at this posture, remembering the wondrous works of Christ. Amen? So let's take time to celebrate. Let's pray and let's worship. And as we do, we're going to give you two songs to just enjoy the goodness of God, to sing out of what God has done, to praise his name. And Jesus said, that we should remember his grace by taking communion, remembering that miraculous great work on the cross for you and for me 
and he invites us to celebrate with him as we gather together as a church. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness, for what you've done. We thank you, God, that we can come to you once again. Lord, we need to come to you once again to be reminded of your goodness, of your grace. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Lord, I pray, Lord, that if they're in this room or listening even later, that if they don't know the mercy of God, if they don't know you personally, they would put their faith in you right now. God, save. Thank you, God, that you give us that invitation. Lord, even in Hebrews, you tell us it's a sacrifice of praise sometimes that you desire, that it actually takes us to even open our lips and to sing forth these songs, making them prayers, making them communal, making them testify of you. But we want to activate our faith. We want to stand firm in what you've said, and we want to open our mouths by faith and praise your name now. And so, Lord, we bless you. We thank you. May you receive the glory and honor in our lives. And may we find wonder and be in awe more and more of you as we worship you. We ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.